0: Well, let's take our Bibles then and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and our text this morning will be verses 23 through chapter 11.1. 1. We're not doing two full chapters, it's just part of the first verse. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning at verse 3, 23. I got excited there. Paul writes, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to eat, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience if I partake with thankfulness? Why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also pleased all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am. Of Christ. There ends God's reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Let us go to the word of God. Before as Pastor David said, we play football and we tackle the passage. <laughs> Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us. We thank you that it was written in human language to ordinary people so that we can understand it. And we thank you that we're not alone in interpreting it. You have given us the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, to teach us so that we can understand it. And so this morning we pray as we go through your word that you would speak to us and that your Holy Spirit would teach us that we might go out better informed and more conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ and know how to do that because we have heard from you this morning through your word. So build your church this morning, I pray. May you be glorified in the preaching of your word, the hearing of it, and the obedience that follows in your name. Amen. We've all heard of the thing called situational ethics. Situational ethics. Now, this was uh, really a really a theory that came about an eth- ethical theory that was developed in this in the 1960s by Joseph Fletcher. It basically states that sometimes other moral principles can be cast aside in certain situations if love is best served. So, in other words. The, the primary principle that we live our life is love. And after all, God has called us to live in love. We need to love. And therefore, in the name of love, we can actually throw off certain principles if love is best served. But really what he was saying is that we can throw off God's moral principles and the moral codes of Christianity, we can get away from that agape love, that self-sacrificing love. And we now express love in how we feel that love should be expressed. We will love our neighbor in the way that we think it should be done. And so the absolute laws of scripture are set aside to achieve the greatest amount of love. And so the guidelines for love are now decided not by the, the the truths of the word of God, but by what? By you, what you decide is loving and what is best. Now, we would all sit, I hope we would all look at that and say, whoa, wait a minute. We can't set away, set aside God's truth. We can't just set that aside and say, hey... Uh, We'll, we'll define love ourselves. God has defined love in Scripture and it's defined by what? Truth. Truth cannot be separated from love. But there is a sense in which we all live by situational ethics. There's a sense that we all live by situational ethics because you know what? Not everything in life is contained in Scripture. Not everything Not every situation is contained explicitly in Scripture. You go to Scripture, and there's nothing there that's going to tell you how big your church can grow to be, right? There's not a chapter and verse for that. And so there are lots of things in Scripture that Scripture simply doesn't speak to. But scripture gives us principles. It gives us guidelines for us to live our life. It gives us things that we can now apply to those situations that we come to into in life, where we can make decisions on how we are to live. And so the Bible will not give, tell you whether you should buy bologna or ham, right? But it can tell you what you need to eat, Right? It can tell you that there's nothing morally wrong with eating ham or bologna. Well, maybe. But (laughs) so you can choose what you like, right? There's principles that are there. And Paul is going to do that exactly for us here this morning. He's going to give us some guidelines and some principles on how we are to practically exercise our spiritual Freedoms, our freedoms in Christ, in those gray areas that are not explicit. You won't find in scripture, can you go to a movie? Some of us, we would love to live in that black and white world where where everything we could just look it up. Can I go to a movie? Well, yes, you can. Can I go to the specific movie? No, I can't go to that one, but I can go to this one, right? We would like that, but the Bible doesn't do that for us. And so Paul is going to say, listen, there are things in Scripture that that Scripture doesn't address, but it gives us principles. There's freedom that we can exercise in these areas. And so he says, I'm going to give you some principles and guidelines that, that are going to help you so you can practically know how to exercise your freedoms. But not only does he give these guidelines, this morning I want to, I'm going to give you six questions that you can ask, six questions you can ask when it comes to your freedoms in the gray areas of life, that you are going to be able to ask yourself. And when you ask these questions, they will help guide you through the use of your Christian liberty and freedom. Six questions. And so we're going to we're going to get to ask you these six questions. I'm just going to give them to you right up front so that you're not holding your breath. Does it build up others? Does it prioritize others? Does it use of your liberties? Does it promote legalism? Does it bring condemnation? Does it bring glory to God? Does it lead you to imitate those in the faith? or to be individualized. Now, you're not gonna get those all down, but you're gonna have time when we get there to write them down. And so this morning, these are six questions that you can ask. When you come to a, a certain freedom, a certain gray area in your life, ask these questions and when you're done, you're gonna have a practical guide that's gonna help you to decide whether to exercise that freedom or to refrain from it. And remember, When you have liberty to do something, that means you have liberty to what? Not do it, right? So it goes both ways. All right, this morning then, he starts with that first question. Does it build others up? Does it build others up? Does it build up? Paul says in verse 23 then all things are lawful but not all things are profitable all things are lawful but not all things edify now Paul is repeating probably a phrase that the Corinthians are using and it may be that the Corinthians actually got this phrase from Paul or maybe, and maybe the libertarians there were those the strong ones were using this as an excuse to use their freedoms in Christ Now, we know when Paul says all things are lawful, we know that he's not saying that sin is lawful for a believer. I think that should be self-evident that not all things are lawful for a believer. You can't just do whatever you want. Anything that breaks God's moral code, that breaks the things that he commands us to do is sin, and therefore it's not lawful. We are under the law of Christ. There are certain requirements for us to be like Christ, and so there are certain behaviors that we can and cannot do. So Paul is saying here listen there are all things are lawful in other words in your Christian freedom all in these gray areas all things are permissible all things are allowable like there's there's been permission for you to granted for you to use them But then he qualifies that and he qualifies it with that little phrase in verse 23 But not all things are profitable. They don't profit. There's no no value to them. And then he really redefines it again. And he says, but not all things edify. Now, the word edify is the word that is often used for building a house, to build up. But spiritually, it means to be building someone up spiritually, to build them up, to make them stronger spiritually, for them to grow in their spiritual walk. And so Paul says, listen, when you look at your Christian liberties, when you exercise them, does it build others up? Does it actually promote their spiritual growth? Does it make them better? And in fact, whatever builds them up is actually what? Profitable. You could say that. In in some ways, they're just speaking of the same thing. It's profitable because they what? Build up. And so we are to what? Exercise our freedom in such a way that we what? Build ourselves up and we build others up. So what do we do to build up? How do, we, how do we actually build ourselves up? What's profitable? Well, Scripture gives us some clues. Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 32 I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up. So there's. if we're going to build ourselves up, we need to use our exercise, our freedoms to what? Read the Word of God. Secondly, preaching and teaching. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, Instead of speaking in tongues all the time, what you ought to be doing is prophesying and preaching, because preaching has the, the end of it, exhortation, consolation, edification. It will what? Build you up. It is will build you up. Thirdly, the reading of the word and the Bible will build you up. Preaching will build you up. Love will build you up. First Corinthians eight, one knowledge puffs up, Love builds up. So he says, here are some ways to be building yourself up is to what to be loving. And fourthly, he says this, when the saints do the work of ministry, the body of Christ is what build up, exercise your gifts. And so he says, listen, when you are are looking at your freedom, he says, does your freedom promote the spiritual growth of others? Are you building up the body? Are you building up yourself? Or is is your freedom actually taking you away from the word, from the hearing of the word, Obey, love? Is it taking you away from, from building up of the body? So he says, here's the question you ask. Does it build up? Does my freedom build up or does it tear down? Am I actually using my freedom in a way that pulls people down and pulls myself down? Or is it building me up? Now, Paul kind of turns up the heat here and he says, does your freedom prioritize others? Look with me in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. And maybe this is an extension of verse 23 in some ways. You're building up, you're building others. And he says, now I want you to do what? To seek. He says in verse 24, seek his own good. Don't seek your own good. Don't don't go after your own good. He says, but the good of what others? In other words, Paul says, when you are using your Christian freedom, here's one of the things that you need to do. You need to prioritize others over yourself. You must prioritize others over yourself because sometimes it's easy to use our freedoms to build ourselves up. We think that that our freedoms are good for us and our goal is for self-building, but not other building. And Paul says, listen, I want you to look and see Am I serving with my freedom, my own selfishness, my own desires? Or am I willing to uh, prioritize others and make sure that my freedoms are not impinging on other people's lives? He says, we need to be prioritizing others. As, as we read in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not look out merely for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude, which was also in Christ. And so he says, when we think of our freedoms, we're often thinking of me. I want to exercise my freedom. I have the right to this. Instead of thinking, is this freedom good for others? Am I willing to put their needs above mine? It's one thing to build up. It's one thing to build myself up. It's another to make it a priority to seek others over myself. Now, again, this doesn't say you can't seek your own. It says, but prioritize what? Others. And so Paul says this morning, does it build up? Does it prioritize others? And then he says, do your freedoms promote legalism or do they overcome legalism? Look with me in verse. Twenty-five. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all it contains. If anyone unbeliever invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Now here is kind of maybe the corrective to the first two points. Because at this point, you're just saying, it sounds like I'm a doormat. It just seems like I have to give up all of my freedoms. Everything that I want to do, I can't do. Now, Paul kind of maybe reigns it in a little bit with this point. And he says, listen, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. In other words, when you go down to the market, you don't go to the butcher and you don't say to him, listen, uh, listen. Where, where'd you get that meat from, right? Do you know where you got that meat from? And the, and the, and the butcher says, well, actually, uh, you know, Bill sent, uh, sold it to me. So you run down to Bill. Bill, where, where'd, you, where'd you get that meat from? Well, I got that from Ed. And then you go over to Ed, right? And lo and behold, you go down far enough and you found out that what? A priest blessed the cow before it was, a pagan priest blessed the cow before, you, before it was eaten. And you go like, oh, no, I can't eat that. And Paul is really saying, listen, use your freedom when it's okay. When you, when you use your freedom and don't be worried about offending everyone. In other words, don't go looking for trouble. You don't go around and, and poll the audience to find out where everybody is offended. Most of the time you'll find out anyway, right? But the idea here, too, is we want to remember that the offense here is is either keeping someone from the gospel or causing them to sin. And what we don't mean by that is, is because your personal taste is different than mine and you don't like it and you have a critical spirit. That's not an offense. An offense is when I embolden you to do something that is sinful that you wouldn't have done before, right? You see me. You see me swat the dog, you're getting brave and you swat the dog, right? You wouldn't have done it if you hadn't seen me. Now, against your conscience, you think it's wrong, right? So when I, we cause someone to go against their conscience. And so Paul says, listen, don't borrow trouble. You go down to the, to the meat market, j- just buy the meat and eat. Don't be so caught up in trying to make sure you offend nobody and that you get legalistic that you can't even function. And he says, and then he quotes Psalm 24 here. He says, For the earth is the Lord and all it contains. In other words, there is nothing intrinsically evil about the meat if it's been sacrificed to an idol, it's just meat. God provided meat. God made the cow grow. God made the grass grow that the cow ate. It's all good. There's nothing evil about the meat itself. So eat, eat, eat it. Now, Paul already condemned going to an idol feast and getting into the celebration at the feast and the festival because that was communing with demons. But going to the marketplace is detached from the feast. It's detached from the idols. It's just meat. And so he says, listen, use your liberty. Where there's, where, there's not a, where there's not a problem, don't get legalistic. Don't try to go and find all of the problems. Just eat. now, brings up another situation because that seems pretty clear in the market that seems clear in the market but here he says he's going to give another situation because of course there's always those situations that we're not sure about and now he gives one for the Corinthians and he says if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake he says, when you, when you get invited, what? Don't ask, right? First of all, you can. it says here you can fellowship with what? Sinners, right? You can go eat with them. Christ did. The only sinners you're not allowed to eat with is the what? Other believers, right? Those who are in sin. But you can go eat with unbelievers. And he says here, if they invite you and they invite you to eat and they set before what they set before you, eat, eat, don't ask. Don't, don't even have your own conscience feel guilty because you know where it came from. Don't let your liberty be taken away. For liberty, Christ has made us free, Galatians 5. Stand fast in your liberty. Don't give it up. Paul defended his liberty. He said they were spying on him, Remember? And so he says, when you go over there, don't be causing trouble. Don't be asking questions. Don't try to run everything down. Just eat. Then he says in verse 28, but if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat for the sake of the one who's informed you for conscience sake. So Paul has said, told us already, don't eat, right? I mean, eat. If a believer, he says, if I, I should go back to verse twenty-seven. Sorry, if one of the unbelievers invites you and wants to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. So he says, don't be legalistic about everything. Don't search for all of those things that you think people are offended. He's not saying don't be wise and don't be careful But what he's saying is don't be so legalistic That you won't use any of your freedoms Because you assume that someone will be offended Or you look for it And now he says In verse 28 He asks this question Does using your freedom bring condemnation? He says, but if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who's informed you and for conscience sake. Then he says, I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. And so Paul says, listen, if you go to an unbeliever's house and he puts meat before you and you're going to eat it, and someone says, wait a minute. And I would understand that this person is another of the weak believer that was for conscience sake earlier. And so he says, if, 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 if another believer says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for conscience sake, and I mean, for his conscience. In other words, he says, listen, there's, there's a limit to your freedom and your freedom is limited by what the conscience of the weaker believer your conscience is going to, your freedom is now limited by the conscience of the weaker believer. And so he says, don't eat, don't eat. Now there's a principle here that I want us to see. And when, I'm, when I say it, some of you are going to recoil when I first say this. You'll notice this. He's been offered food by an unbeliever, but he won't eat it for the believer's sake. And the principle is this. You are better not to offend your brother than you are to offend your brother and appease the unbeliever. You are better to what? Offend the unbeliever than a believer. Now, that just intuitively seems wrong at first, doesn't it? Like we want to recoil. But a believer, we, we have to be, we have to adorn the gospel. We have to be right before them. We can't offend them. We, we must be nice to them. Well, I would suggest to you that scripture says exactly the opposite. Jesus said, if you are, you will know you are my disciples if you have What? Love one for another. There's nothing in the scripture that says, You will know you are my disciples if you have love for the world, if you feed the poor. None of those things are in scripture. But you are called to unity. You are called to have, because we have one spirit, we are called to live together in unity. And it is the demonstration of your love and your loyalty to your brother in the Lord Jesus Christ that is a testimony to the world. Now, we don't often, sometimes we, but, 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 but this is God's way. This is how he says he will bring others to salvation. is through the demonstration of our love for one another as we demonstrate the love of Christ that he has planted in our hearts. We often don't think of that. But here the believer is willing to what? Offend the unbeliever, why? Because he would rather stand for the, for the weak conscience of his brother and not offend him and not harm him spiritually. Remember the believer is already lost. And it is the grace of God and the power of God that will save him, right? Your perfect life will save no one. Now I'm not saying we don't ordain the gospel that we're not, we're not gentle, we're not, we're not careful. But it is the Holy Spirit and the power of God who will save. So he says, if this meat is sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who's informed you, for his conscience sake. I mean, not your conscience, but the other man's. So sacrifice it. Sacrifice your freedom then for him. And then Paul says, for why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? And I think what Paul is getting at is this. Why would I use my freedoms in such a way that the things that I am doing is causing my brother to stumble and and is causing him to judge me? He's sitting there looking at my freedoms and saying and judging me because he sees them as wrong. And Paul continues with that. He says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? And again, I think Paul is simply saying this. It is possible for me to what? Give thanks. Even here, I'm giving thanks for what? Food sacrificed to idols. Uh, uh, Food that my brother knows has been sacrificed to idols. And guess what? What? I'm being slandered for it. I'm being slandered for eating that meat. And Paul is saying it is very possible for us to what stumble our brother for the very freedoms and the things that we praise God and thank him for. It is very possible that we can on one hand Partake with thankfulness of our freedoms while at the same time causing our brother to stumble. And so he says, listen, don't bring condemnation on yourself. Don't cause your brother to condemn you because you have used your freedom in this way. If you know it bothers him, then be willing to give it up. So he says, does it build up? Does it prioritize others? Does it promote against legalism? Does it bring condemnation? The fifth question you ask with your freedoms is, does it bring glory to God? And maybe this is really, really the foundational principle of this whole passage. Does it bring glory to God? Paul writes, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, Paul says, listen, this is what, this is the high note of a believer. Use your liberty, whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it what? For God's glory. That is the aim of believer. This is the aim of every part of your life is to bring glory to God. So what exactly do we mean by bring glory to God? Well, God's glory has two aspects to it. We would say that God has, first of all, inherent or intrinsic glory. God is the only being in all existence who can be said to possess inherent glory. No one can give it to him. It's already completely belongs to him by virtue of who he is. If no one ever God gave God praise, he would still be the glorious God that he is because he was fully glorious before he created any beings to worship him. In other words, God, God's glory is, is, is manifested in who he is and in his character. He has intrinsic glory. The second aspect of God's glory is ascribed glory. Psalm 29, 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Obviously, we cannot give glory in the sense of adding to his glory any more than we can add to his strength. The psalmist is simply urging us to recognize and to to give the glory to God he already has. In other words, we are, we, are, we are to be those who give praise and honor and respect to God's glory by demonstrating that glory in our lives. So how can we do that? We can glorify God through what? Confession of sin, Joshua 7.9. Because in confession of sin, now listen to me. How do we give glory to God in confession to sin? Because we are ascribing to God that sin is exactly what he declares it to be. And we are, say, we are affirming to him what he says is right and true. Do you see that? So when we confess, we are actually saying, God, you are right. Exactly what you say is true and right. And therefore, we are now ascribing to him the glory that is due his name. By trusting God, Romans 420. Where we recognize our dependence on him, but where we say, where we recognize that what he says is right and true. And when we put our trust in him, we are demonstrating that we believe that what he says is true. By bearing fruit, by bearing fruit. When we, produce, when we are bearing spiritual fruit and when we start to demonstrate that fruit in action fruit, we are, now in, we are now demonstrating to the world who God is and by ascribing him glory by saying, my life will now reflect him. He is so worthy of everything that he deserves that my life will reflect his character. My life will demonstrate to the world who God is. And so, as I am changed from the inside with spiritual fruit and I be, become more Christ like, eventually that will pour itself out into good works, works of righteousness produced by that spiritual fruit inside. And then people will look and say, Look, he's different. Look what he's doing. He is going according to God's principle, he's reflecting God's character. And there's nothing more, shall we say, glorifying to God than you living in obedience to him. We glorify him by praying, right? Because we recognize his power. We recognize our dependence upon him. We recognize that he controls the world. And he's the only place to go. And so Paul says, when you're exercising your freedom, make sure that it is what? Headed for the glory of God. Not your rights, not your freedom. But what is produced by the use of your freedoms ultimately leads to what? God being glorified. And so that should be really the heart of every believer, right? I live every moment of every day, every action that I do, everything that I think, everything that I want to do is, is submitted to that goal, to God's glory. And Paul gives us one more question. Does my freedom lead me to imitate or to be an individual? Paul says in verse 32, Give no offense to either Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things. So Paul really lists everybody here. He says the Jews and the Greeks, he's referring to unbelievers here. The church of God refers to believers. And he says, give offense to no one. In other words, live a life that is so blameless before people that you don't give anyone an excuse to stumble. To stumble a believer by causing him to sin and emboldening his conscience so that he sins against it. By, by offending unbelievers to the point where they are offended by you so they won't hear the gospel. Now remember, listen to what I said offended by you, the gospel will offend we know that, that's okay, we're okay with that but what we're not not okay with is you offending people unnecessarily. That's why I say oftentimes we have those young men who like to go out and evangelize on the street but they are so aggressive and obnoxious that it doesn't matter really what they say. They, they couldn't sell you a vacuum cleaner because nobody wants to be near them. We don't want to add offense to the gospel, right? Paul says, just as I also please all men and all things. And again, Paul is not giving you know a way to lawlessness here he's not saying I can do whatever I want but what he says is what when I'm with the Jews I keep, I keep the ceremonial law when I'm with the Gentiles I act like they do I put nothing in the way of the gospel or my fellow believers growth that will offend them I will give up all of my rights if I need to he says I please all men in all things I, wherever I have freedoms, I am willing to give them up for them, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that I might be saved. In other words, I'm not thinking it of myself. I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm not trying to make myself comfortable. I'm not trying to do things that I want to do. I want to do it for the profit of others. Why? So that they may be saved. I will do nothing that stands in the way of the gospel. I will do whatever I can to keep them from being offended." He says in verse 11, "Be imitators of me. There it is. He just said, "This is what I'm doing. Now imitate me." And Paul has already demonstrated through this passage, right, in, in, in chapter eight to eight to 10, that what? He is willing to give up what? His rights. We we had six rights that Paul had where he could be paid for giving the gospel. And he said, what? I'd rather not. I give up that freedom so no one can say you're peddling the gospel to make money. And Paul says, imitate me. I've told you I become all things to all people that I, I will not offend anyone in order for the gospel. And he says, I want you to imitate me. Instead of you doing your own individual thing And setting your own path I want you to what? Follow me And if that's not enough If Paul hasn't set the standard high enough Paul says follow me as what? I follow Christ Whoa there it is Paul doesn't just say follow me and that's it He says follow me as I follow Christ And he says listen Who is the greatest example of someone giving up their rights For someone else? Is it not our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not what we read in Philippians chapter two? Here is Almighty God in heaven, Jesus Christ, who was willing to give up what his divine right to be with the Father. He took on human flesh. He came down to earth. He did not have to do that. He chose to do that. He chose. To go to the cross. He chose to die. He chose to be a servant. He chose to suffer. He gave up those rights for us. And Paul says when you think of your freedoms, are you imitating Christ? Are you imitating Paul? Who's imitating Christ? Are you willing to go that far? Are you willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ's example? And Paul basically says, look what Christ has done for you. What are you holding on to? If he was willing to condescend that far, an unimaginable condescension, Don't you think that you could with your rights? So Paul says to us, listen, you want to use your rights? You want to use your freedoms? You want to know practically how to use them? Then ask these questions to yourself. And when you get to the bottom of this list, you should have a pretty good idea whether the freedom that you're wanting to exercise is legitimate or not here's the practical guide and just so you know you can use your freedoms right this isn't like oh i have to give up everything no he says weigh it weigh it in fact there's there's a spot where he says actually you know what don't be legalistic about this use them but he does give us this practical guide. Does it build you up? Does it build up or tear down? Does it prioritize others or you? Does it promote legalism or liberty? Does it bring condemnation or give you freedom? Does it bring glory to God or on the other side? Does it take away from it? Or do you imitate Paul and Christ? Or do you decide to blaze your own trail? Because after all, they're your rights. And if you answer these questions correctly, when it comes to exercising your rights, you have the guideline. You have the guidelines. You have the principles. So use them. And then you will use your freedoms, ultimately, for the glory of God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clear teaching that Paul gives us here, a very practical teaching. And so I pray this morning that we would be those who would filter our freedoms and our liberties in Christ through these questions that Paul has laid out for us that we too might be pleasing to you and that we might glorify you. Help us, I pray, to be willing to be obedient to the things that are laid out in your word. We pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.